All right, everyone. Today's episode is brought to you by our wonderful public school system here in Prescott, Arizona. The Prescott Unified School District has been serving children for over 150 years. And while the community and district has grown and changed considerably since 1868, the commitment to children, families, and the community remains the same to this day. PUSD welcomes all students, including those who live outside the district boundaries, because at Prescott Unified School District, every child, every day, Everywhere matters. Proceeds from your membership and our advertisers with Raven Productions goes directly to supporting the arts programs in the PUSD. to the Creative Convergence, an audible nexus of the creative arts. I'm your host, Candace Devine. Join me in conversation as we discuss the journey creatives take on their path to success. Hey everybody, I have two incredible guests here with me today that I cannot wait to tell you about. Kelly Roberge is an artist, graphic designer, social media wrangler, and professional eclecticist. She has a BFA from ASU and a master's degree in counseling and art therapy from Prescott College. Kelly has run over a dozen branding and social media campaigns for businesses, nonprofits, and county entities. She uses her obsession with color, shape, and people to create beautiful objects, more fulfilling relationships, and more connected communities. Charles Matthews is an entrepreneur, mentor, and visionary. He has 35 years' experience as an educator, wilderness guide, nonprofit leader, and business consultant. He led clients to the top of the highest peaks in Wyoming and to the very bottom of the Grand Canyon. He has led small, motivated teams, started half a dozen nonprofit and educational programs, founded and chaired a national mentoring program, and provided team building and strategic planning for startups, small businesses, and Fortune 500 companies. Along the way, Charles has mentored and taught thousands of clients in effective communication, inclusive teamwork, and transformative leadership. Charles' TED Talks, keynotes, and workshops have inspired hundreds of workshop participants and conference attendees. Together, Team Meberge runs four different podcasts and share a focus on personal growth, healthy relationships, and engaged, equitable community. The weekly Here Together podcast features creative and insightful guests from all over the world talking about how to be better together and individually. The semi-weekly Remaking Manhood podcasts host conversations with both men and women who are working to create and promote healthy masculinity. The Prescott Woman podcast is a monthly audio supplement to Prescott Woman magazine. The podcast offers deep dive interviews with the fascinating local people and organizations featured in the magazine. The Prescott Unified podcast is for listeners who want to stay in the know about the most important local institution, the Prescott Unified School District. This monthly show interviews educators, coaches, parents, and administrators who are doing the hard, passionate work of educating our kids. If you'd like to learn more about Kelly and Charles, please see our show notes for links to their social media and website accounts. 
everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Creative Convergence podcast. And I am so genuinely thrilled about my guests today because they are two of the loveliest people, but they're also so incredibly interesting because they have their fingers in a multitude of pots and they are the most creative, wonderful, introspective, thoughtful, kind, and progressively forward-thinking humans I know. And I just love hanging out with them. They've had me as guests on their podcast, and I am so thrilled that they were willing to be a guest on mine. So today we have Kelly Roberge and Charles Mm -hmm. Matthews um, from the Here Together podcast. But you guys have other podcasts. You have the Prescott Woman podcast. You also do the Prescott Unified School District podcast. And you have the Remaking Manhood podcast. Am I? Did I get all those listed? You got, yeah. Yeah, Yeah, nailed it. Because you guys are badass. Yes. Welcome. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Oh my God. What an introduction. I know. I'm crying uh, already. I know. Oh no. That, that coming coming from you, Candace. That's that's just a huge bundle of compliments and praise. Yeah. Thank well, you. Well, we've so had much. so much we fun together. And I've been fortunate enough to be in your home and sing and chat and talk about all the beautiful things about community and evolution of our senses and our abilities as people to be better. And I just love that you guys, you know, dive into those topics and and really get in there, which is something I think we all need to do. But I think fortunately with COVID, I always talk about the silver linings. That's been something people have taken the time to do more of. And you guys are leading that. And I love it. So let's I mean, you're, you're an, I mean, you're an inspiration for that, for that work. I mean, if there weren't people like you in this community, in this world who were, you know, trying to create these positive snowballs and, and bringing out the best in everybody and really being passionate. We talked, we talked recently after interviewing you and, and Drew just about like me coming out as a dork. Like (laughs) I've been, I've been trying to pretend on all of the podcasts that I'm this like professional and Mr. Cool and have it all together but just like she's man you know with you and and drew and and your passion for music always and your passion for community it's just inspired me to just i'm a dork man i love my stupid cats i love the <laughs> stupid community i'm i'm drawing a line in the sand about uh, men and masculinity and i mean the kelly doesn't have to do this she's been a she's been a blessed dork. yeah i've never been shy about being a dork yeah so <laughs> yeah we're we're exci- we're excited to be dorks out in the I now. love you guys. Let's start at the beginning of the both of you, if that's okay. Where were you born and kind of what was your family dynamic like in your younger years, maybe like zero to five, six, seven-ish? Well, I was born in Miami, Florida, and I grew up in Tallahassee. Um, but basically I was, uh, my parents' senior project. They met (laughs) in college and I found out as an adult that, um, I was the result of the six days war between Israel and whoever, um, classes were canceled. And so they made me and, uh, (laughs) so I've grown up in a creative household, um, my parents did graphic design, freelance, and for institutions and organizations my whole life. My dad's a, a fine art painter, um, and his his kind of claim to fame is that he designed the the Seminole head logo for Florida State. Wow. So I, everywhere I've been in the world, I've seen that logo. Yeah. And now in my 
adult life, I get to design logos and do things and I haven't hit it that big yet, but it's pretty fun to follow in his footsteps that way. And what a great uh, bullet point to like, uh, this is one thing I talk about with my husband about making music is that if there's one thing you can leave behind that has the potential of having any kind of effect on anybody, it's a piece of art, whether it's a, a written piece of art, a fine piece of art, musical piece of art, a, a dance piece, that there are things that that we leave behind in a legacy of sorts through artwork as, as what, and I put us all in this category, very generic humans. Like none of us are Elon Musk, none of us are Oprah, you know, I mean, but Really, yes. the masses yes. are what, yet, but also <laughs> the masses collectively are really what shape and change the world. I mean, it's really important to have these uh, mass, mm-hmm. you know, big figures that do these monumental things. But without the beehive, you know, doing things daily and weekly and, and hourly, you know, really those signature 10 people can't move the forward, you know, world forward. So when you think of things in those terms, it's just like you said, everywhere you go, you've seen that logo for floor. I mean, that's a piece of your dad for as long as it's up Mm -hmm. there. And even if they change it at any point, it will go in the Florida state history books of the evolution. You know what I mean? So there's a a piece of your dad. And they did actually change it a couple years ago and it pissed off a lot of people. <laughs> it was a, you know, it was a finance deal with Nike or somebody. And, you yeah. know, it's like, we will rebrand you. But I mean, they took the basic idea and just kind of re-upped it. But yeah, it made a lot of people upset. Yeah, because people to, like what to, they, you know, are yeah. drawn to and what they're familiar with and what they're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. And it came out of somebody that, you know, was a local or a native. And mm-hmm. um, that's really cool. Did you, do you have any siblings? Nope, I'm it. You're it? Me too. I'm an only child too. What about uh-huh. you, Charles? I'm, I'm just going to let you two talk at this point. <laughs> a, couple of, a couple of only children. Yeah, um, yeah so I grew up, I grew up uh, a little bit strangely. Or, or I, I grew up in a, in a unique place. I grew up in Jerome, Arizona, this little town of 400 people stuck on the side of a You're mountain. You're a native from Arizona. Jerome? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was born. Very in, I was born in Nevada, but but by the time I was no, five, no, wait, I was literally every time I go there, I'm like, I wonder what it's like growing up here. I say that yeah. every single time. Now yeah. I have someone to tell me. Yeah, well, I mean, we you know we get to. I mean, everybody says this. Everybody our age says this about their childhood. Oh, we get to ramble all over the place, and we came home when the, we had to be home when the streetlights were on, and all that stuff. And that was absolutely true. But we just had the the added benefit of like having tunnels to go through, and because you know we'd we'd go into the old mine tunnels, and uh, we had scrap to play with. I mean, just like abandoned buildings, abandoned buildings, and, yeah. collapsed buildings. Um, you know, it really, we really shouldn't have survived our childhood. It's, it's really <laughs> remarkable. And for the people who don't did. know, Jerome is in, in a, a mining town, an old mining yep. town. Yep. Former. Mines, yeah. mines Former. closed in 1953. There had been 15,000 people living there. So there was, you know, lots of old stuff around all the time. But, but in addition to, to the old stuff and being able to play really freely and, and now looking back, I realized that that we weren't really abandoned feral children. Like now I look back and I realize that the neighbors were watching my sister and I, you know, go into the tunnel underneath the road and making sure that we came out. You know, they were keeping track of, of us at all times and keeping my mom informed, which was which was great. But the other thing about living in Jerome and growing up there 
in, in of all the places in Arizona to grow up, like there were more because it became an arts colony after, you know, in the 60s. And so we grew up around hippies. We grew up around uh, LGBTQI folks. We grew up around people who had traveled around the world. We grew up around people who played music. Uh, Katie Lee, the semi-famous sort of cowboy singer, would come to our living room and play music. Uh, Alfredo Gutierrez would come and play old Spanish ballads in our living room. Um, David Holt, who's a classically trained guitarist who grew up in Jerome, but then got trained down at down in U of A, would come and play Bach cantatas on his guitar. So, you know, when you and Drew come over and play play music in my living room uh, for the podcast, it's just like, oh, this is exactly what, you know, I want my life to be like. So I've always been, I grew up around creative people. I grew up around artists. I grew up around a real, a real diverse crew of people, which very unique for growing up in in Arizona in the 70s and 80s. That's not what most Arizona kids experienced. Yeah. And and I love, I think I love the spirit of that town so much because no matter how much you just visit or drop in or whatever, you can feel the history. You just can because of the dilapidated buildings and the old mining, you know, you know, tunnels that you can see and the folklore yeah. and all of the kind of stuff that comes with it. But it's it's one of those places that I feel like immediately transports you to a different time where you your imagination runs with what it was like, what it would have been like, what it, you know, like that imaginative possibility of seeing yourself in a different time. And all of those attributes always come to mind. I'm like, wow, between the miners and then the artists. And it feels like such an, for the time, eccentric and cool, you know, little spot that, you know, probably not most people. Now, now I'm imagining Candace Devine being in Jerome in like <laughs> 1890. Oh my goodness. Wearing, wearing, yeah. wearing a crazy a flannel dress and a bustle and like singing, like, in a, singing in the saloon. Yeah, I would have been totally. like a saloon girl for oh, sure. I, I would have not been like an upright standing female citizen. I would have been <laughs> right? one of those like naughty ones for sure. <laughs> well, I think that's part of it too is because it was kind of a Wild West boom town and there were a lot of prostitutes, but I think <laughs> because that's what a boom town is, is right. that there's a bunch of men and then how do we make money? And and to be a hundred percent those women were independent. I was gonna say tough, the usually the usually the women. brothel women were the most yes. forward thinking. A lot of times Absolutely. they were the most educated. A lot of yeah. the times they were the most self-sufficient because they had Absolutely. to be able to be in, talking around men all the time. So mm-hmm. more of them were well read and educated in their own ways than than the average bear because of the life plan they took, although they had to be mm-hmm. on their back oftentimes, but they were, you know, same thing with the courtesans in, you know, the Renaissance Italy, like the most well-read, I mean, they're prostitutes, but educated and they get to travel and they get to do all that. They had to be smart and tough and resourceful and, you know, have a sense of humor about like, this is a crazy way to live. Yeah, (laughs) for sure. Yeah. Let's jump ahead a little bit. What were your um, kind of junior high-ish years like? Were you, oh what were you God. like as those kids? Were you were you creative in that time period of your life? Were you shy? Were you outgoing? Were you still in Florida? Uh, yeah, I didn't move to Arizona until I was twenty. Uh, my mom moved here when I was just starting high school, so I used to come out for summers to Jerome, and he would be away at camp. So we didn't meet until 
we were in college. He was home for Christmas and I came out to visit for Christmas. And okay, his wait, mom I made us to, go do something. Yeah, I have to pause you for one second. Yeah. So you're in Florida, but you would like vacation in Jerome? My mom moved to Jerome okay, when I okay. was just starting high school. She How moved to Jerome she in 1982. On Jerome? But you stayed with your dad. I stayed with my dad, yeah. So I lived in in Tallahassee with my dad until I was you know, like 19, moved out on my own for a year. And then I moved to, I moved out West. How did so your mom come find out in the She, um, my grandfather actually moved to Jerome first and then she moved out and that's a whole other thing. That's a whole crazy story. But, um, yeah, so I would come out and spend the summers with my mom and, you know, in the, in the early to mid 80s, it was a really cool place to be. It wasn't quite so busy as it is now. And to me, those are the salad days, but I didn't get to experience it in the 70s, which was like a whole other era. <laughs> um, how was that for you in comparison to like Tallahassee? Was that something you looked forward to? Was it a t- yeah. I mean, yeah. Definitely, because the people in Jerome, well, I mean, I had grown up around artsy weirdos anyway, because my parents were, you know, quote unquote hippies. I mean, we always, we didn't ever live in a teepee or anything, but we, uh, you know, there were, there were, we lived, had a Volkswagen van and, and lived in a house, but, um, Jerome was just full of personalities and it was full of a a kind of freedom that was really fun. And I I always enjoyed coming out for the summers and it felt like a big part of who I was for, for many years. Now I'm kind of over Jerome, but, but for that time period, I would come out, get, weirder the the trends from like LA and New York would kind of get here first and then trickle down to the deep south so I would come home with some new weird thing that you know people were like what is that what are you doing and so you'd pick up like music and and art and fashion yeah I don't yeah Yeah. it was a different it was a very different scene from the deep south so yeah I would come home kind of different every year and by degrees get more different (laughs) so until they kicked you out of Tallahassee yeah no but I mean I gravitated toward I was in band in middle school and high school and what'd you play I played flute Oh, I played the 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 easiest to carry instrument <laughs> that I could find and, and that I could borrow from someone. I think that says a lot about your forward thinking and your awesomeness because honestly, having toured with a piano player who brought an eighty-eight key weighted oh keyboard gosh. everywhere we went, and we we're hauling that thing up, you know, brownstones mm-hmm. in New York, and like, <laughs> oh my gosh, yeah, well, you know, no. I mean, you're, I I I'm on board for the flute. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm a, I, I'm a, I'm a, a comfort and convenience gal for sure. I love it. What about you, yes. Charles? What was your like middle school kind of into junior was, high? Yeah. Were you an artsy a, kid was, at that point? Were you creative? No, no. So here's, so here's, here's the thing. Here's, here's, <laughs> I'm gonna, here's the trauma. Here's yeah. ready. We're going to, we're going, we're just gonna, going deep. We're Let's going deep it. now. Everybody ready? So in first grade. 
my my first grade teacher during morning singing told me that I should listen because I had a loud voice and I apparently didn't sing on key. Uh, so I made up that I, you know, couldn't sing, wasn't artistic, blah, blah, blah. I was the smart kid in my little school. And so it's like, you could be smart or be artsy yeah. or be athletic. Those were kind of like, you know, those were the, those were the boxes. Right. So I made up that I wasn't, that I wasn't artistic, that I wasn't creative. So I've spent my entire life since then kind of reclaiming, trying to, trying to create a, a, a full spectrum for myself, a full integrated human being that is smart, that is artsy, that is creative, that is, you know, weird, that is interesting, that is uh, athletic, that is physical, all that stuff. It's just trying to, trying to, you know, get out of those boxes. But I did in middle school, we, where it was okay to be creative for a smart kid was Dungeons and Dragons, was creating, creating dungeons, creating characters, acting them out. I mean, looking back now, we were doing a full arts program, you know, just for one another, for the, for the six other dorky kids uh, in the, in the advanced placement program or whatever we were in, you know, we were, we were performing all of the time. We were creating and performing all of the time in the back room of the library, getting shushed when we got too excited about the, the dragon or the, or the Lich King or whatever we were trying to defeat at the time. So that was, that was kind of my, I was the, the, the smart dorky kid in, in middle school. Yeah. And we were both big readers too. Yeah. Yeah. Huge we were readers. both major like book nerds. What yeah. was your um, kind of favorite book genre or stylings that you would dive into? Well, what popped into my head was when I was younger, like look, you know, eight, nine, 10, 11, I was very into horse books, yes. you know, the, <laughs> the black stallion and all of those guys. And, but Candace, Candace is the big equestrian. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I had I wanted a horse so badly. Uh, it was physically painful. Mm. And then when I was 11, we moved out to the country. My parents split up and we moved out to the country or 10, 11, anyway. Um, my next door neighbor was a farrier. So I got to hang out with his, he had a couple of mules, Hank and Harry. <laughs> he, the mules were great and he would board other people's horses. And so I got to hang out and go to auctions and go on ferrying runs with him and that kind of thing. And uh, that was like heaven for me Yeah, to be able to kind of be a spectator. But I never really got to ride a whole lot. I never got good at anything but one of my badges of honor was getting stepped on i had a black <laughs> I, my big toe was black for a long time because yeah. i got stepped on so this that is, was this is great i've, I've been proud. with i've been with kelly for like eight years married for seven something like that i might mm-hmm. be wrong about that but i'm learning all kinds of stuff in yeah. this interview. i had no idea you got stepped on by a horse yeah you're so brave you are yeah. you're inducted yeah. Some you either need to be like stepped on, kicked, bit. Like you, there's got to be yeah. somewhere in there that you're inducted into the horse horse person world. Definitely. Well done. I feel well proud. done. <laughs> <laughs> but, but so book wise, did you you were into horses? What were you into, Charles? What were you you were into Dungeons? But were you sci fi kid? Were you an yeah. imagination yeah, sci-fi. kid? Sci fi. Yeah. 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 And I think Lord part of the of Rings. It, Lord of the Rings. Yep. Yeah. Some. Yeah. Fantasy. Kind of classic fantasy. And I think it's it's another kind of box thing. It's like. If you're going to be a smart kid and a and a and a guy, there wasn't a whole lot that was okay to kind of read. I mean, sci-fi was kind of the the dude the dude thing to read, right? The dude thing to dork out about. But I felt, you know, part of 
part of growing up in, in Jerome and growing up in, in central Arizona is that, you know, the libraries had kind of, they were not up to date. I cut my teeth on the original L. Frank Baum Wizard of Oz books. The, oh the, my for gosh. whatever reason, the Jerome Library, and I don't know if, how many people know this, but L. Frank Baum didn't just write the Wizard of Oz. He wrote, I think, eight or nine. Oh, there's more than that. Well, there's then, like 20. Well, then another, a woman took oh, over. I can't okay. remember her name. A woman kind of took over the series and there's at least 20 in total uh, Oz books. And I just, you know, I just fell into that, that world. So I've, I've often, you know, world building and going to a different place, whether it was the Lord of the Rings and, and, uh, uh, you know, Numenor and, and Middle Earth and all of that, or whether it was the land of Oz and, you know, talking hens and flying <laughs> monkeys and, yeah. you know, whatever else and, and powerful women. Uh, it, it was definitely, you know, this stuff was written the turn of the century and was definitely influenced by the kind of the progressive, the progressivism that was rising up in, in New York city and Chicago and other places. And, you know, Ozma was the, was the empress of Oz. Once they got rid of that wacky wizard, he was just a, he was just a hack who'd flown yeah. in from, he was a fraud. Yeah. He was a fraud. Uh, so yeah, there were, there were powerful women running, running that place. So and that was part of a maybe how, how I became a feminist early on. Yeah. That's amazing. I didn't know any, I mean, I obviously, you know, I'm a Judy Garland fan. So, you know, right. growing up for me, the Wizard of Oz was like, oh, but I, and I obviously was aware of the books, but I, I had no idea about the depth of the backstory in, in those publishings, which is thank you oh, for yeah. that. I appreciate yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. So let's move forward to like the high school years. Cause this is the formative where we all kind of start to begin our, I mean, up from the day we're born, we're becoming who we're meant to be. And that's a journey yeah. we take forever, but there is definitely a shift between that, like 12, 13 into that 14, 15, 16, where we all start to get ideas about no, my life is going to be, or I want to be, or I'm going to dream about being, or I look forward to going here, or I'm going to leave this place or not leave this place. Or how were those kind of years for you guys? Yeah, I, I think, I think high school was kind of crystallized the, the attention, the conflict that still is within me, um, that I, you know, I was this total dork. I was the small, always the smallest kid, you know, up through middle school. I was a chubby kid all the way up through middle school. And then like testosterone happened and I got like a six pack overnight I've, from doing nothing, just <laughs> not being able to get enough to eat because testosterone was charging me up. And I had a paper route. So I had to like a paper route in Jerome. Anybody who's been in Jerome, like, <laughs> I don't know how absurd. many thousands of steps, <laughs> yeah. I don't know, literal thousands, you know, going up steps to get to, to deliver the paper. So I, I Jerome is mountain. I mean, it's like yeah. everybody's yeah. living on the side of a mountain. Nobody would live there except that's yeah. where the copper was. Right. right? right. So, um, so I got all of a sudden I was uh, good looking and fit and interesting instead of weird. Um, but I, and I ended up getting elected student body president my senior year, you know, dated the, the editor of the yearbook. Um, you know, I was, sort of popular in this weird off to one side way and respected for my leadership and what I had to say, but still like thinking I'm a dorky, you right. know, no good, fat, Isn't slow that interesting kid. what we just, what we choose to keep with us, even when other people are not, you know? Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So I'm, you know, so I still struggle with that today. It's like, I still struggle like 
knowing that I have uh, a ton of leadership and, and a ton of really important stuff to say and do in the world and, and the ability to, to influence and inspire people, particularly men around uh, creating a, you know, a bigger box for men instead of this really narrow box. That's a lot of the work that I do on the remaking manhood podcast, but still um, struggling to, to be, to fully inhabit that. And, and I think it's, I mean, it's good in some ways and that it keeps, it helps keep me uh, grounded mm -hmm. uh, and humble and receptive. And it helps me pay attention to other people and to lift up other people's voices, to lift up Kelly, to, you know, to, to look at the work that you're doing and be like, oh my God, Candace is totally on top of this. This is great. Um, it keeps me from being egotistical, but it does, I mean, it, it holds me back a little bit. So that, that tension was there all the way back in high school, which I'd never really, really thought of until now. So this is great. This is therapy. How much does she, know, how much right? does she charge? How much do we charge? Does, does yeah. we pay to be on this yeah, podcast? Venmo or yeah. yeah. A whole lot of awesome and love and hangout time. How about okay. you, Kelly? Mm -hmm. What was what was your kind of high school journey looking like? Well, like I said, I was in band. And for me, as an only child of artsy weirdos, um, I don't know that I knew I was an introvert yet. At that point, I was pretty social. Um and I was kind of a good level of popular. I wasn't a cool kid, but I wasn't, you know, unpopular. Um, so for me, high school was great. I had a good time. Uh, the structure of band was really important to me. Uh, we were a pretty successful program at a larger school. So, uh, it, you, you had some peak experiences, right? I like, did have, I had some peak experiences. I was consistently pushed to go further than I thought I could, either both with marching band and with concert band. I was not a brilliant musician the way many of my friends were. I was kind of in band just because of social reasons. Um, now I pull from the, that education, that music education and the experiences that I had all the time. Like it's the, the structural foundation that that gave me is huge, but it wasn't until college that I really got into art for myself in the way that I would stay for the rest of my life. So that's a really big point that I'm, I'm so glad you brought up college. Was that something in your households? Was that something that you were expected to do? Was that something you wanted to do? Was that something you didn't know if you did or didn't, but you thought you'd give it a shot to see if you get in and see what happens? How was that approached in your family dynamic? Yeah, it's kind of weird because both my parents went to college and I guess I just always assumed that I would go, but I never had any conversations with anybody, with my family or with the you know school counselor or whatever about going to college. I had no idea how to apply for college. I didn't apply for any universities or anything. I just went to community college for the first two years, which was a great experience for me. TCC was a great experience. It was perfect. It was exactly what I needed. One of my best friends, Susan, uh, she went to TCC and she hated it and it wasn't what she wanted. And she wanted to be at university and she was frustrated by it. And for me, it was perfect. I took a bunch of art classes because that's where I felt comfortable. And I basically have 
live my whole life. Like I know, I don't remember knowing what I wanted to be, but I just wanted to be creating. I wanted to be in that squishy, wonderful place of building and designing. And, you know, it was years before I was able to crystallize that idea that I want to design and build. That's where I'm happy. I'm happy, you know, tearing down the studio walls and rebuilding things and creating this amazing space. I'm happy in the uncertain terrain of creativity mm-hmm. in a way that I know many people are not. Mm-hmm. Hate that. Hate it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a different person in the creative process than I am in the rest of my life. Right. Right. But I didn't really learn that until later. Right. No, yeah. I was just curious because I talk a lot with people, and I, I can't wait to hear what you have to say, Charles, as well. But I talk a lot with people. Further education is an interesting topic. It's an interesting topic because I, I find that for me, at least in particular, college is really more, and I and I mean this with all the respect in the world to the institutions, but like I I couldn't tell you half of the shit I learned. I mean, I really couldn't. I, I was there. I was a good student. But the personal growth, the emotional growth, the friendship growth, the self-discovery growth, the time to be able to decide, quote unquote, on kind of what direction you want to go was invaluable. I mean, I I was a kid that came out of the womb knowing exactly who I wanted to be, what I wanted to do. I have known that since the day I was born. There was not a question in my mind. So for me, college although there was all this other greater education, for me, that was never part of like what I was there to do. I was there to become my best version to do the thing I wanted to do. You know what I mean? Um, Well, it's such a great buffet of ideas and people and experiences that help us understand that the world is bigger than our little family and it's bigger than our little high school and but it's still kind of a safety net, which is nice. I mean, you're mm-hmm. not required to mm-hmm. now exactly. have three jobs, it's support structured. yourself, pay your rent. Yeah. Usually. There are people who definitely do that. But yeah. um, and I give them so much praise. But yeah, I worked, I worked and supported myself through through college. Amazing. Sure. Yeah. How was it? Did you feel like that? Did you feel like you were thrown to the wolves immediately? Did you feel like it's okay because well, I'm taking charge of myself? Uh, I had grants and uh, grant uh, Pell grants paid for m- almost everything. Um, uh, community college was affordable. Pell grants paid for university. When I moved out here and then I moved down to Tempe, I finished at ASU. Um, so the only loans I racked up were for my study abroad semester in London. And it took me 10 years to pay that off, but it was worth, I just went from one thing to the next. Like what is the next thing it opened in front of me? And I just walked into it, whatever it was, I was not making calculating decisions. I didn't have the clarity that you had of like, I know what I want to be. I just went where it felt good. Right. So but I think that's I an important step. School. I think that's an yeah. important step, honestly. I think that's an important step into maturing is having a sense of, 
I, it, we shouldn't be afraid of what doesn't feel good. We should also mm-hmm. lean into it. But I, I think there's something, there's an important step to the maturing process of being aware enough to say, this sits well with me. This creative mm-hmm. endeavor fits me very well. Um, I think that's mm-hmm. why at this point I'm such a big advocate of vocational schools as well. Because Absolutely. I think there are plenty of people that are like, hey, community college have this, you know, buffet of ideas and opportunity and possibilities. And in the meantime, I'm learning. But I think there are people that are like, I'm great with working on cars. I love working Mm -hmm. on cars. Like, I I enjoy going to the auto body shop. I'm going to go learn to be a good mechanic and spend my days doing something that I'm drawn to that I love. Um, All for the reason that you just said. It's like I, I started to find where my vibration was sitting in the happy spot. Totally. But tell me what you think about this, Candace, because I think it holds true for the people who want vocational paths, for music and art and anything. I really wish, because my art program at ASU, I, I enjoyed learning all the different media, but there was almost nothing about business. And without a business education, Oh, I could go on How a two. How can anyone make a living? <laughs> I I went back to school to for a therapy degree. Yeah. Same thing, you know. Without understanding how to be in business. You can learn the trade all day long. How can we create any kind of a sustainable life? Right. I I I think there's this term cash flow that I didn't learn until like eight years ago. I will take it one step further. I honestly, in my heart of hearts, believe that our high schools and our junior highs. I mean, I think our high schools. We should be learning it from the beginning. I mean, I think it's great that there are kids that learn Zoom. So I think if you talk at the same time, I think you guys can cancel each other. We're okay. okay. Yeah. Thank you, though, Charles. I appreciate it. It's we'll figure it out. Um, okay. I think it's great that we have children that learn trigonometry and advanced math. And I think if you show the signs of that early on, you should be in those classes. I think the other 97% of the population should be learning practical. This is what interest means. This is Mm -hmm. what a checkbook, you know, or a balancing tool should be. I mean, I think once we get past, past basic algebra, our educational foundation should be on proper, like, living tools. Yeah, We have more kids. I mean, talk about, you know, people talk about college debt. I think just even if more kids understood what that meant, Mm -hmm. you'd have a better selection process from the get because you would Mm -hmm. have kids from an educated standpoint going, I'm about to get into X debt. The interest on that debt is blah. It is going to get me this. But if I know that this degree leads toward the X to the thing to the being the neurosurgeon where my debt will be paid off, that's a choice. Versus Mm -hmm. if you're a theater student where you could go take private acting classes and Mm -hmm. voice classes and be a hairdresser, esthetician, realtor, whatever Mm -hmm. vocation you decide to do while pursuing your dream, waiting tables, any of it, and you're only taking on your X amount a month debt, my $100 a month for that class or the $200 a month for that class that I know I can afford to pay, if we had a general understanding of that much younger, I think our whole educational system from the people would evolve in a healthier way because we would understand what we were getting into until we figure out a better way to educate everybody for a less, you know, monumental fee. Um, right. Sorry, I went on a whole week ago. Yeah, yeah no, I agree this. 100%. I, I don't agree. know why we don't teach practical things. I, yep. I think it's great that we have all these, you know, math and science things. I was never going to be good at chemistry, right? Like, let's right. just call a spade a spade. I took right, it, but it even was fine. Chemists, even 
even people who go out and get good jobs in research or academia or whatever need to know how to not squander their paycheck. They might have a good paycheck and good benefits and whatever, but you know, what happens if you lose your job? You know, it's like all gonna, of us. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to agree and disagree. I'm going to, I'm going to stick up for financial education as yeah. the same as the two of you. And I, I think we, we were talking the other day, we, we didn't figure out how to take care of ourselves financially mm-hmm. until we got married. And it would, it would, we work together through the tension. Yeah, yeah we were both now, financial and, idiots you know, when we got like, married seven years ago. Yeah, I mean, every every high school kid should uh, should get a YNAB. You need a budget account. It's a software package, really simple. Track your money. Everybody Lots of should, educational tools that come yep. with it that mm-hmm. tell you how to do stuff and, and every, why it's a good idea. And everybody should have an Acorns account where you can round up from your debit card and, and that round up money just goes into uh, a, a, an investment account, uh, whether you're an artist, whether you're a neurosurgeon, whatever it is. But anyway, but I'm going to stick up for for liberal education for just a second because mm-hmm. I, I didn't know what I wanted to do from the get-go. I was all over the place and I'm still a little bit all over the place. Uh, I had to drop out. Well, <laughs> Own I'd, it. I'd like to say it was a mutual agreement with I and the university, but they kicked me out because I hadn't, because my grades were diving after my junior year. And I had never, I had not chosen a major by my junior year. And I just couldn't, couldn't narrow it down until later. And I had some life experience, but a liberal education that includes literature and history has had a huge impact on who I am and how I show up in the world. Reading and and studying the lives of other people, studying the arts of other people. I took Southwest Asian art. I took I took the you know the history of, of early America. I took you know sustainability classes. I took classes on agriculture. But in particular the literature classes are what made me a white guy able to appreciate, understand and value the lives of women, the lives of people of color, the lives of children, uh, animals, the natural world, all of that came to me through uh, uh, just a kind of classic liberal mm-hmm. education in the arts and sciences school at, at Cornell University. If I had, if I had, uh, you know, narrowed down like I thought I was going to and just, you know, done biochemistry and microbiology and gone to work for the Centers for Disease Control like I thought I was going to when I was a sophomore, or a freshman, um, I wouldn't have had all that. I wouldn't have taken modern American novel. I wouldn't have taken Enlightenment philosophy, and um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be uh, as interesting, at least to myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And and I wouldn't be as compassionate and 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 open to the experiences of other people. And so I think, you know, I know those kids in in my high school who did you know, take the auto shop classes and the woodworking classes and all stuff that still existed in, in the late eighties or mid eighties, uh, still existed in high school. They don't, they don't exist so much anymore. Um, and I know the kids now who are going into, into, uh, you know, sort of pre-professional, uh, classes in, in JTED and, and all of that. And, and I think that's great. And, you know, if we're not also supporting, you know, in high school, 
if we're not still making sure that kids are getting that liberal education in, in literature and in history so that we can become full participants in a multicultural, oh, I totally multiracial, agree. really complex democracy. Yeah. It's gonna, it's, there's a I lot think, of requirements yeah. for being a kid, for being an adult these days. I totally agree. And I think it's a both and scenario personally. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. it's, it's a both and, and I definitely, I think from my standpoint, I just take a little bit more issue with the stigma, and it's going away. But it, yeah. there was yeah. a stigma for a time that if you do not graduate from college, you have yeah. no shot right. at which is not a career or a life, and you're never going to be quote unquote successful. Which I find just abhorrent because it's like you. Not everybody is destined for college bound higher no. thinking. Where I feel like the life skills, and to your point, Charles, I think if you if if we start encouraging our youth to go, listen, you know you're great at woodshop or at mechanics. Like, go be a mechanic and then go to, but support yourself being a mechanic while you go to junior college and figure out what might interest you later. I'm also a mm-hmm. big advocate of the idea that um, often they do in Europe, which is the gap year. Take a year Absolutely. after high school. Travel. Get in a car, road trip, go see places, work whatever shit job you have to work to be able to go do more. Take a year to grow up a little and decide like, you know what? I have been working in pubs and I love these musicians. Maybe I want to go to music school or maybe I want to run this bar and I should go learn some stuff about business school and I should – like I, I'm a big advocate. I took, of that too. I took six gap years. I took six. <laughs> yeah. I took six years in between my junior and senior year in college, and I went. I went and did um, outdoor education. You know, I taught rock climbing. I taught backpacking. I worked in. I worked in kitchens. I ran a bakery. Uh, I Life traveled stuff. back and forth across the United States multiple times. Uh, you know, went paddling in the Sea of Cortez. You know, climbed in Yosemite. Uh, led trips up to the highest point in Wyoming and, and found a bunch of things. One is I found what I was good at, that I was actually really good at, at leadership and teaching and conveying a sense of wonder about the natural world. And I found that I found out how to work with other people found out I didn't want to work in restaurants, <laughs> didn't want right. to run a bakery, um, and and was able to come back to school and finish off and, and get it. I ended up creating a degree that fit me. I found a way to do that, which, yeah. I, and, that, and that took the skills, that took the interpersonal skills and the confidence that I'd gained in those six years to talk to the dean of the ag school and to talk to the dean of the art school and say, I need to switch. I need to do this. I need to create something new. Uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that when I was, when I was younger. And you, you took a gap year essentially too. Yeah, I, I did my community college, got my AA, moved to Arizona, took a year off and, and worked in all the shops in Jerome and did made baskets piecework for Erica Raspberry, who had a shop at the time. And she, she put these kits together. And so I would take them home and put them, you know, assemble these baskets and go back and get my check and get some more baskets. And, you know, and, and because of associating with her and apparently with Charles's mom and uh, other people in Jerome, all these creative people who were making a living doing their creative endeavors, um, I went back and got my degree in fine art and came out knowing that I wanted to do, do everything 
creatively, but having no founding in how to make money and be successful nobody, nobody financially. Told, nobody told you to niche down like like they tell entrepreneurs. And I don't think that was a thing yet. Yeah. But I, you know, it just, I spent years trying to make stuff and sell it and did do that. And, you know, a few things kind of lifted up a little, but nothing caught on enough to really help me drift in that direction. You were doing right. book binding, t-shirt making. Oh my gosh. Jewelry. Yeah, well, my I love in- that you bring this up, Kelly, because I think that's such, I think it is the singular, most signature plight of the artist. I mean, yeah. I really do. I think we would have such a, a more creative and more artistically inclined experience as in a globe if mm-hmm. more people were like, I know that I can figure out how to make a living doing what I love to do. And I think the hardest part is people go out blindly, give it a shot, and they're living on nothing going, gosh, I can only sell my baskets for X or the T-shirts I make for X and Mm -hmm. my cost of living is still Y. And not having a sense of, you know, a spend ratio or where the money is best used to benefit. the And those are all business skills, which I think is just highlighted so beautifully because artists, that's, I think that's the biggest deterrent for people Mm -hmm. to having an artistic lifestyle is that, well, I can't have the stuff. I can't live the life. I can't buy the house. I can't do the thing Mm -hmm. being an artist. And it's just actually not true. It comes down to being educated on how to do it. And it might take right. a little longer than the person on the corporate ladder, but it is absolutely attainable. And and to your point, I'm like, I love hearing that. You're like, we got married and we both went, we should learn how to do this, you know, right, right. so that we can yeah. thrive in our creativity and in our endeavors, whatever they be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wow. Definitely, definitely. And, you know, it took me a long time of just wandering through creative media and creative relationships and different um, ways of working with other people. I had friends who were shop owners who sold my stuff and we collaborated on ideas and that was a lot of fun. I started a studio with my friend Vicki Day and Jerome and we had several years of a really rich, beautiful, creative collaboration in that space down at the old high school in Jerome. And that's when Charles and I reconnected. This is what I was going to say. Are we getting to a point how we, we at some point need to know post-college or what have you, like, were you guys still ships in the night? Were you both, who were you as young adults? Did you know each other? I mean, that's, I wanted. Not really. I'm, we, we spent that one day together in 1987 and. I don't think you've told her that story. No. Yeah. I, he was visiting at, back home for Christmas after he was he was at Cornell and came home for Christmas. I was visiting my mom at Christmas with my roommate. Um, and I was 19. He was probably just turning 21 or something. And we spent a day. I'm sure his mom made us go do something. And we spent the <laughs> Your day Your mom was together. the matchmaker from the beginning. She oh, was like, she's yeah. been trying to hook us up for years. And <laughs> she'd be like, Charles is going to be in town. And my inner voice was like, I don't care. <laughs> and, and I'm getting. <laughs> Likewise. You should, you should look up Kelly while you're And he's here. like, you who, should go do something. who is that? I don't even. Yeah. Yeah, we were not impressed. And, <laughs> but because I had the studio and I had kind of reconnected with his mom and 
we were in the same knitting group and this is you this is years this is later. years yeah. later yeah that now fast forward to we're in our 40s so wait but you did hang out one day in 1987 one like, day in 1987 and was yeah. it, it it was just kind of lackluster you both were like eh. we were not impressed <laughs> i was i was with juggling, each other. i was juggling two other relationships already he was busy back in ithaca I was yeah yeah, I I don't I can't visually I I remember pieces of that day. I cannot see his face. Yeah. In my memory. Isn't but that- we did see Robert De Niro that day, which he did not remember cuz <laughs> he admitted to me recently that he did not know who Robert De Niro was at that time. Because they were filming Midnight Run in the area, and so we were driving along, and I'm like, "That's Robert Niro." <laughs> yeah. So, so, so go rent Midnight Run. You'll see which is them, awesome. You'll see them drive, you know, through the desert outside of Sedona, tearing everything up. And yeah, we had we to were, sit. We, we had were, to sit on the road to Sedona, coming we were, back. We were in a roadblock. Yeah. So we really quickly. So Charles, you ended up back east for college because we didn't specify. Yeah. So you you left Arizona, went back east. You were at Cornell. Yep. Yep. And yep. how was that experience going to kind of I mean I asked that because yeah. Ithaca That's is a art, huge difference. It's yeah. a huge yeah. difference from yeah. Jerome and it is an art city. Ithaca is very artsy and yeah. um now you're, you know, among these creatives as this imaginary, you know, smart kid. How was yeah. that kind of transformation and transition for you? And you lived in the weirdo dorm. I did. Yeah. Do you want to talk about the climate shock, the culture shock, the (laughs) the finding out I wasn't the smartest kid anymore? Um, Yeah. No, it was, you know, I, I didn't visit Cornell ahead of time. Um, We were totally, I mean, my, there was no doubt that I was going to go to college. For some reason I applied to Ivy League and I I only applied to Cornell early decision. Um, For some reason I thought that was doable. Like I, my, you know, I'd never thought about whether or not we'd be able to pay for it. Uh, It was really a very naive kind of, uh, kind of move. And I got, I got, I flew out there, got dropped off uh, in front of my dorm in the, you know, kind of in the middle of the night, uh, the night before uh, orientation with my one trunk of, of stuff and, uh, you know, made a go of it. And, and again, because I was the, the naivete was sort of protective. Like, I just thought that's what every, that's what you do. Ignorance is right? bliss. <laughs> you don't yeah, know, you totally. just show up. <laughs> just show up. Um, so I, I mean, I loved it. I, uh, I loved the ivory tower. I love, you know, call it, you know, be, be snooty about how terrible, you know, Ivy League elites are or whatever, but it was just freaking fantastic to be, uh, at an institution, like, you know, my freshman year, I'm taking biology, my favorite subject, and the lecture is starting late. There's 400 of us in this, you know, ancient lecture hall made out of brick and stone. And, and the professor comes rushing in 10 minutes late. He's like, we were going to talk about this thing, but we just discovered this thing about how frog eggs develop. And it's going to have these huge uh, dramatic effects on how we understand development for human uh, fetuses. And, and this is, you know, and we're like, so that's what we're going to talk about today. So it's like, you're like mind like, blown. <laughs> yeah. Mind blown. So, uh, so I've always been that, you know, that kind of solidified my, my, you know, just appreciation for, for creativity in, in that kind of the intellectual sphere. Um, 
you know, being taught modern American novel by the the preeminent biographer of of Thomas Pynchon, the the kind of famous reclusive author. You know, I was just I was just in the thick of it, and, and it felt really felt really special to be a part of that. You know, I imagine you know, like when you get to be on stage with like really amazing, famous, productive, I think you know, wonderfully engaged you, artists, it's the same thing. Yes, anytime you thing. jump into your element, whatever that is, that organically fits the stuff that excites you, I think it's that's feeling, you know, and, and especially in that age group, you know, you're talking anywhere from 18 to 20, depending on who it is, who's you're young, you're, you, this is the first time you're like on your own two feet deciding what you're into and you're in an environment that feeds all of the possibility. It is very exciting. It is very exciting. Yeah. And Kelly, you know, Kelly mentioned, I, I lived in the weirdo dorm. I lived in a, in a dorm called Risley, which was the, the arts and performing arts dorm. And you know, down in the basement, we had a letterpress press down in the basement. So we were making books with ink and movable type. And so I had friends who were composing poetry and then we'd make a book of their poetry. Uh, there was a, a, a guy in the metal shop who kind of lived there. He was this like little troll <laughs> who made museum quality replicas of medieval and Renaissance armor. Just like, or he like one, his right arm was just huge and his left arm was all like scrawny and dorky because he was also like a gamer. So he was like <laughs> pounding sheets of metal into armor, um, you know, right next door. And there was a black box theater and a and a, a movie production and a, a dark room and all this stuff right in the dorm. So we were just in the in the thick of all of these crazy weirdos, you know, like running a, running a hose out the back from the laundry room, from the hot water tap into a baby pool to create, uh, uh, you know, a hot tub in the middle of Ithaca winter, uh, you know, creating <laughs> impromptu performances, you know, raiding you one another's performances like and disrupting and stuff. <laughs> it was dorky animal house. It sounds house. like it heaven. It was dorky yeah. animal house with a little bit of mushrooms and LSD instead yeah. of beer. That's, that's what was going on there. Yeah. I love it. Alright everybody, today's episode is brought to you by the Raven Cafe, located at 142 North Cortez Street in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. I love this place. I eat there all the time, and let me tell you why. The Raven Cafe features a full, all-organic espresso bar and a wide variety of craft beers and wines. Their innovative menu is created with a focus on organic ingredients, many of which come from local sources. So head on over there. Enjoy a relaxing and comfortable environment decorated with rotating art shows by local and regional visual artists. And on the weekends, a lineup of the best in up-and-coming local music. You don't want to miss out on the Raven Cafe. It's absolutely one of my favorite spots in town. So head on over to ravencafe.com and order online or stop by to catch a happy hour on their beautiful rooftop patio. So let's jump to post-college because I always find this section of time very interesting too. It's the section of time where it's like for the same excitement of figuring out kind of what you want to do. And then you think like to your point, Kelly, like you're like, this is okay. I'm shaping my ideas. I do want to be an artist. I do want to do this thing. And then you graduate or maybe you don't graduate, but if you do graduate, you know, like then you get spit out and it's like, okay, go figure it out. You have the knowledge we gave you. How how was that for you guys? <laughs> well, moment. I mean, like both of us took a long time in school, so we didn't get spit out at 22 like right. most people. I 
I took my gap year. Then I went back. Is this? I think. Did your headphones stop working? It did. Oh, that's better. Uh, Yeah, I took my gap year. Then I went back at ASU and I took, you know, a full four years at ASU. I just went until they stopped giving me money. (laughs) And second to last semester, I was in London for four months. And that was humongous for me. I absolutely loved it. Um, Finished up school basically just spent the spring, I I graduated in December, spent the spring just recovering from, you know, years of school and just hanging out and, you know, wake and bake and watching Ren and Stimpy and gardening. (laughs) And, um, and then I moved back to Jerome and move, moving back to Jerome, living at home, slash being subsidized, living across the street from home, uh, working, you know, working in cafes and shops and the Jerome lifestyle is how many jobs do you have, Mon? Yeah. You know, (laughs) I I just did that lifestyle, uh, spent a couple of years in Colorado, moved back, same thing, just trying to figure it out, you know, trying to figure out what I could make and sell that would work, what I wanted to do, lots of creative exploration, which was great, but, you know, never being able to feel like I was successful because nothing really took off and not being able to crack that. Um, Went back to grad school for a psychology degree uh, spent a couple of years working in a uh, mental health rehab place that, again, hugely um, helpful in my growing up process, but realized pretty quickly that wasn't what I wanted to do. You know, I wanted to get art therapy. I didn't want to do art therapy right. for other people. Um, so <laughs> and there's it was a difference. A, yeah, it was basically... <laughs> a very expensive three years of therapy for me and, you know, huge part of my healing journey. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, it's, there was a lot of meandering for me. You know, know, I I haven't listened to all of your podcast episode, all the episodes, Candice, but you know, I'm I'm guessing that some of your listeners are like, who are we talking to right now? These guys are a bunch of freaking losers. Um, (laughs) We didn't. And, but you know, it's, you know, I hope some listeners are like, hey, man, I can totally identify with that. Yeah. Um, you know, it was, as I'm talking and as I'm kind of listening to Kelly tell her story too, it's like, there was a, there was probably two decades after college where I was just kind of wandering around trying to figure it out too. I mean, there was a time where I like gathered up all of the cans in the kitchen, all of the beer cans and soda cans and took them down to the, to the recycling place and went and bought a burrito and that was dinner. Like mm-hmm. I've, you know, looking back now, it's like, I've been close to homelessness. I've been bankrupt. Um, I've started businesses that have failed. I've, uh, I went back to grad school and didn't finish. And now I have a huge, you know, load of debt. It's like, you know, you could look at all of that um, and just sort of see a life that was, you know, kind of on edge and, and not being as successful as it could be, or you could just be Tom Waits and write a bunch of songs about it, I guess. Um, but you know, this is, it really feels like, 
you know, now at the age of, of 55, it's like, okay, freaking let's do it. Like this is, we've been, we've been, you know, in the trenches enough. We've been, and, and being in the trenches, like reading literature makes me more empathetic and, and more passionate about um, working with folks who are less fortunate, working with folks who are marginalized. It drives my, um, it drove the work that I did in the nonprofit with Boys to Men and working with mentoring boys. It drives my uh, passion about getting men to step up and lean into being better uh, guys and being better leaders and being better allies to, to women and people of color. It's, you know, it's not like an inner city story. Mm-hmm. It's, it's sort of a, a, a kind of a, a story of white uh, mismanaged, sort of. It's sort of mismanaged privilege. Like mm-hmm. if I hadn't been a white dude, I don't know that I'd be alive uh, now, you know, given how poorly I managed my life for a couple of decades. Um, but now it's grist, you know, now it's grist for the mill. Now it's grist for like being mm-hmm. really committed to community, being really committed to, to community change and, and to equity and justice and, and, and creativity and, and bringing people together around those ideas. What I think how's that, how that for spinning? No, no, no. together, baby. Twenty no. years of crap. I'm like, let's spin it into <laughs> yeah. something. Good. No, I, I just have to say that that it's sort of the same for me. I, I feel like I've had all this time wandering and bumping into things and and experiencing life on on all these different ways. That I always had a sense that it was for something. Even though I didn't exactly know what I was doing, I it I knew it all was going to benefit other people somehow, some way, at some point. And my understanding that I want to design and build is now like, how can I contribute to building and designing experiences, spaces, whatever? that make it easier for people to be in community, that make it easier for people to express themselves creatively. And that's what I want to be a part of. I have to tell you so much of what the both of you have just said brings to mind for me. When you joke and say, you know, oh, I tied it all together, 20 years of meandering or this or that, or and, mm-hmm. and it's fun to, to joke and, and be silly with. But at the same time, I'm so thankful for that kind of a journey and for the conversation around it because when we think back, and, and this is just my take on stuff, you know, when I look at the evolution of humans, regardless of how you decide we got here, no matter that, that, you know, can be up for, for debate till the end of time. But once, once we get past the how we got here, we have since evolved as humans, no matter what, through our technology, our ability to write and sing. We live longer than we've ever lived before. We live with different expectations than we've ever lived before. We've seen, you know, as a human species, diseases come and go. We've seen wars come and go. We've seen, you know, on standing debates about every possible subject under the sun. If we strip it down to the basics of humanity when we all technically lived off the land and really had to survive in community, we maybe only lived till 48, you know. Um, but what I love about your both of your journeys is that if, if you compile that into like a shorter lifespan, right, you're right on target with everything that people were gatherers gatherers and wanderers and you really did have to figure out what you were good at to feed the greater good right there are people yeah. that 
were the better hunters, whether it's you can take the argument, oh, the men were the hunters because they're stronger and bigger and this or that. Or you could say, yeah, the two men were the big hunters. <laughs> and and there's a whole lot of men that were chopping down trees and building, you know, this. And then you can say, yes, there were the two or five women that were great at making maza and cooking, but there were also women great at basket weaving. There were the women that were watching the kids. There are the women who were probably <clears throat> the meat dryers and preservers and the, you know, uh, I mean, I really think that we've simplified the idea of humanity down to gender roles and these ideas that you touched upon, Charles. But at the end of the day, when, when before that conversation was a conversation, people had to survive. And when people were surviving, they took the time and it was a shorter amount of time, but they took the time to figure out what their contribution was. And oftentimes I look to my like Native American history and people are named after attributes that make them useful. And it, and and I think there was a time when humanity, you know, didn't make you pick and choose what you were good at. Your, your abilities to provide and help others became the forefront, but I don't think people then negated the other things. I think the mm-hmm. same guy who might have been able to go shoot the buffalo could have very easily been the guy that played the ukulele by the fire or whatever the instrument was, you know, at the end of the night because another friend of him was the guy that figured out if he chopped the wood, he could make a ukulele. You know what I mean? Like there, I totally. think everybody, and I and I, what I love about your journeys, both of you collectively, is that in, in some regard, it's so true to getting back to that. It's a discovery of what really makes you you and brings benefit to a community greater than yourself. And I don't really think there's a time frame on that. And I love that journey. Like, mm-hmm. I love hearing that. It, it's because, much to your point, Kelly, it all has purpose, even mm-hmm. if you're not sure by a label of what it is. Like, oh, I'm right. doing this because I will become this. You're doing this because it's the right step at the right time, because it feels right, because that's what you know how to do, because that's the thing you enjoy, because that's the thing that brings you to the best version of yourself, which then contributes a better person to humanity. So it's good a, on yeah. you guys. It's, a, it's a little bit, I mean, there's the archetype of the fool, or and he gets embodied in, the, in Coyote or in Raven, and... Kelly and I have kind of been fools for the last couple of decades, kind of wandering around a little bit in the wilderness, picking up mm-hmm. things here, picking up things there. And now for the last seven or eight years, we're back in the village saying, hey, mm-hmm. A, it's fine if you don't feel secure. It's fine if you don't feel like you know what you're doing. It's fine if you're scared. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to be passionate and be a dork like we were talking about earlier. And here's a bunch of different ideas that we've found from all over the place. Let's talk about them and let's let's open up a discussion about what we really want for ourselves, for each other, and for our community. And because we have this long history of, of foolishness, I think it's actually and sort of capital F foolishness, mm-hmm. like the blessed. Mm-hmm. Fool. It's a role. Mm-hmm. It's a role. It's an archetype. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, just on the other side of of the fool is the shaman, mm-hmm. right? Who like literally loses his or her mind mm-hmm. in order to go into the spirit world and recover things that we forget when we're just working in the fields. That right. we forget when we're working in our cubicles. The musician, mm-hmm. you know, freaking Candace, you are yeah. a fool, man. You're doing. 
Yeah. What? Why? <laughs> what makes you think you can do lunatic. what you do? What makes you think you can like right. take yeah. Prescott, Arizona, and turn the it audacity. into you know a center for for performance and a center for you know children's education? Blah blah. blah. So it's like foolishness is is um, we probably need more foolishness. Yeah. Uh, Absolutely. post-COVID as we I, figure out how we want to be. Let's be a little foolish. Absolutely. I often tell people, there was a period in my life, for those listening who didn't know this, I was the head coach of the USC equestrian team. And it started with five girls who just wanted to be on a team and they were not, you know, they wanted to have an athletic endeavor and horses were their thing. And so we started out and to, I am promise I'm getting to your point, Charles, is that like, I think when you we need more of all of it. When I am a when I'm goal set, right? I, I, I am the goat. Like I am the top of the mountain is there, and I will climb it till I get to the top and can see the next mountain I want to climb. Um, that being said, every kid that I coached that was going to be a neurosurgeon or a you know whatever attorney or this kind of a thing. They were so goal-focused. They came out, much like I was like, I will be a singer, period. That's my life. Um, They were the same way. Academia in that regard for them was a thousand percent, like, not that, I I say academia, not education. Academia was necessary to get to the heights of what, you know, if you're cutting into my Mm -hmm. brain, I please let me know that you took 20 years of schooling because Mm -hmm. I want to know that you know what nerve not to hit, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to come out, you know, (laughs) as a different formation. Um, (laughs) But to your point, even those kids loved coming, driving an hour out of their way to sit on a horse and be with somebody who thought of the world from a far different perspective and brought stories of my travels to Egypt and my travels to London to perform and my travels, you know, here I am teaching horseback riding as a means to supporting myself while singing because singing was not handling the bills at the same level. So, but those same people got value from the fact that there was somebody not on such an A to B trajectory, right? They were very A to B that worked for them, but their noses were in books and in biology labs and they were on campus and their outside periphery was very narrow. It was very narrow at that stage in their life. They were focused on achieving the thing they were setting out to do. And it was through other people like The Fool that come in and put the color into their life and go, listen, I I mean, I had a student who, you know, blatantly, we I remember sitting down and she's like, I either I'm gonna go neurosurgeon or veterinarian. You know, and and one is a long, even longer road, but will have a lot more security. And I said, well, what is drawing you to both? And she said, well, at least with the neurosurgeon at some point, you know, um, this, that, or the other, I don't, she had whatever. And then with being a vet, she was like, well, with a vet, it does give me the possibility of having more of a regular schedule. So should I decide I want to have a family or should I decide? And we had long talks about how the scope of life is much rounder than a straight line. And in the long run, she picked being a vet. I say all that because a massive life choice in her plane came about from sitting with someone who was not anything like her plane. Mm-hmm. We need the people who are the fools who go out and gather these tidbits of information and try all the lanes and come back with some insight to something bigger than someone else may have 
been willing to do. So all that to be mm-hmm. said, it's really easy to go, oh, I meandered or I did this for 20 years or I did that or mm-hmm. da, 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 da. But it all accumulates to being where we are here together. <laughs> Absolutely. Way to tie it together. Yeah. Well, also, um, it's, I, you know, it's easy for me and I have felt like, quote unquote, a loser because I couldn't figure out how to make it you know, financially, I couldn't, I didn't feel like a success, but comparing, I got two things like comparing, uh, the people who immediately left school, got a job in a bank or an office or something. And then they're in a cubicle for 20, the 20 years that I spent meandering, (laughs) Mm -hmm. they're in a cubicle. Maybe they could buy their house. Maybe they got married. Maybe they had kids. Maybe they did all these things and maybe they're not even happy. Well, you know, I, and I think that's I went everybody. Out and had all of these experiences. And so I appreciate you re- reframing it for me because I I had kind of in this conversation forgotten and I've reframed it for myself a number of times. And it's like, oh wait, no, I I didn't exactly choose it fully, but what my life was was all of these rich experiences and explorations that mean a lot to me. And I think that is a success, even though I wasn't financially a success. And I did live with my mother for a very long time. (laughs) But the other framing of the tribal lifestyle means a lot to me. And I feel like there's a part of me that is very much, would have been a success in that tribal lifestyle of you know, I'm going to make things that we need, you know, I'm going to make the baskets, I'm going to make the, the tools and the containers and the, you know, decorate the cave and, and perform the rituals that feels very connected for me. And I have one little quick anecdote from, uh, from my undergrad. I, my emphasis was in weaving And one of the most profound little peak experience moments that I had was in the weaving studio, there were, you know, five or six of us, mostly women, sitting in a room together weaving. And there was an experience that I had where I saw through the veil of time and I, I felt what it was like to sit around with other women creating the, the materials of life for thousands and thousands of years. I felt that connection, that lineage. And I can, it's, you know, 30 years ago, I can still feel it and it moves me to tears. Mm-hmm. I feel like weeping right now because it's so profound. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for reminding me of that. Well, and and it's so, it, it's the point, I, I feel like that one of the things I love most about this podcast, about your podcast as well, is that through the discussion and through the journey, you really get an opportunity. I mean, when you sit down and ask, like, what's life all about? It's really lovely to set goals and achieve them, whatever they be. Like, I'm going to clean the house today. Mm -hmm. I still haven't checked that one off. But, (laughs) um, you know, whatever they be. But there is something valuable in remembering that 
all these structures we talk about were created by us. They were created, boxes were created by us. Like where we are supposed to be and fit in our creative journey, in our life journey, in our financial journey, they were all created by us. So we have the opportunity forever to recreate them in new ways. And Mm -hmm. when we take the time to discuss our roles as people in an environment of a community— suddenly the journey is a lot, it's it's more relevant, but it's also a lot more irrelevant because really it comes down to the contribution of the whole and what we, what we give in the time, whatever it be that we're here. And yep. when you look back in the terms of the necessity for survival as people, when we did things to help everybody survive longer in the richest way, It really doesn't matter if you were the one weaving or gathering or hunting or making. doesn't matter if you were a man or a woman. It only matters if you were contributing to the community Mm -hmm. as a whole in a way that felt authentically good to you but was also beneficial to others around you. And I think the one – we talk about this a lot, we have, but a silver lining to COVID is I I really believe that people have been forced to have a year to a year and a half to go like – Think about these things, you know, think about yeah. it. What's important? Yeah. Right. What matters? Yeah. yeah. So wait, I do want to ask though, when, because I want to get into our, our kind of our modern day time of the podcast and all of this, but when did you two officially like shack up? Like when did you go, okay, mom was right. Like when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Like She was way ahead of the curve so, and we never even paid attention. Yeah, yeah. So for, so for 23 years, my, my mother tried to get us together and she, you know, she got us together for that one day. Um, and then I finally moved back to Arizona. Well, I finally moved back to, to Prescott, to central Arizona in 2006 and after wandering all over the place and, uh, uh, yeah, ended up, going with my mom to Kelly's studio in 2013. 2013. So Kelly mentioned the studio that she had with, with, um, Vicky, yeah. with Vicky Day. And it was just, it was gorgeous. It was walking into uh, uh, a, a, an imagined world. Uh, uh, you know, it was like walking into uh, Middle Earth or the Land of Oz or some, because Kelly... Kelly's art, she was doing polymer clay jewelry and hats made out of felt and like crazy colors. And it was all, it was a, it was like walking into a world of dreams that I was just remembering like, oh, I recognize that. I recognize that from my dream. Oh, that looks like an insect or an animal uh, that is, exists in my, in my dreams and my dream state. So I fell in love with the studio. Um, I was there, actually, I was with my girlfriend at the time. Well, that the was 2011, time. yeah. 2011, yeah. yeah. So the first time I was with my girlfriend. Was with we my didn't have the whole space at that point. We <laughs> yeah. hadn't worked our full magic at that point. But there was a little, even though I was there with a girlfriend, yeah. there was a little like, There was huh. a zing, yeah. I was like, he he introduced himself, and I was like, I wouldn't have known him if he hadn't introduced himself, but I was like, oh, he turned yeah. out kind of good. <laughs> and, then, and then a couple years later, I came back, uh, to the, to visit the studio with my, with my mom. And, and I was, um, mostly single at that point. 
single-ish. <laughs> single-ish at that point. Single and there tangent. Was still, there was still, there was still that zing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, and you had just been made director of Boys to Men. So you right. were like, mm-mm-mm. Right. Right. Yeah, I just, just gotten promoted to executive director. Yeah, you were you were feeling your oats. Was still driving a 1994 Nissan pickup truck that looked like it had rolled down the hill, not on its tires. Yeah. Um, um, but uh, but then our first date was this long day. It started with started with waffles at the Flatiron, waffles and coffee at the Flatiron in Jerome. And Kelly uh, took me up to her to her studio in her in her house. She said, "Come see my etchings." No, um, but. Uh, she started making polymer stuff and combining different colors of polymer and running it through a pasta roller to flatten it out and then folding it and flatten it again. And I'm watching her hands and Kelly's hands have an intelligence that is separate from her brain. She's like a dinosaur. She's got another brain down in her hands. And it was just, and, you know, she'd been felting and working. She was a working artist at that point. So from an objective standpoint, her hands were a hot mess. They were, you know, they're like cracked and, and uh, rough. And, but watching her hands again, it's like going back in time, like watching a weaver from 10,000 years ago in Syria or whatever. It's just like watching her hands work this polymer clay while she was talking to me. She could hold a conversation with me while her hands were making decisions about what to do with this medium and to create something beautiful and colorful and unique and from from the dream space and i just i fell you were just like i'm done done Done. i don't know about all the rest of her but those hands man i want to i want to watch those hands at at work uh over and over again so yeah um and how about for you kelly what was the moment that you were like okay when she saw my pickup truck, she was just like, yeah, <laughs> I gotta have it. Yeah. Yeah. No, I don't know. It was pretty right away too. Like we had, when he came in 2011, the Zing was there. And when he came back in 2013, the Zing was there. And I don't know. It just like, it was a big yes. And I had declared myself an art nun uh, previous to that, that I was just done, you yeah. know, I was done with dudes. I was in a very, very happy place with my creative world. And I, it, I wasn't going to leave that. I wasn't going to sell that out for just anything. Right. And I was in a happy place with myself and I was, I didn't need, I didn't need romance at that point. I was so immersed and satisfied in my creative world and, and things were going well at that point, um, creatively and business was enough to feel like, you know, like it was possible. And, uh, because I had a creative partnership with Vicki Day, uh, she had a business mind that made it possible. And we were, we had all these ideas and plans and things that we were exploring. And I just was like, okay, I am not going to give this up for just anything. And so when he walked into my life again, um, it, it just was really clear that it was a no bullshit zone. And I think that made it really good for him and for me. And we just, you know, we couldn't stop talking and we I don't know. It was like a done deal kind of. 
So you went and had me. waffles and then yeah. went up to the studio and then the day just kept going and going. Those are great yeah. dates. Yeah, yeah, we couldn't. St- yeah, we just wanted to talk and be with, be with each other all the time. So we were long distance for about a year. And then I moved over here to Prescott and filled up his house with my stuff. <laughs> the house, well the basement, the garage. Yeah. 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 <laughs> and yeah, then, and the, sorry, please go on. Well, just, I mean, the, the, what happened, I think, for Kelly Lott is that, you know, she found out how to shift her creativity in service to the broader community. You know, I was doing these doing these events for Boys to Men. She she originated the the Play It Forward Music Festival that you were involved with mm-hmm. a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and create you created those spaces that were um, conducive to that kind of community feeling and that kind of creativity, you know, for the public. And, yeah, certainly and now, not alone, now, but now we're yeah. doing it on the, now we're doing it on the podcast. It's kind of yeah. the same thing. Yeah. We collaborated on, on, uh, events and fundraiser fundraisers and all sorts of things, uh, for boys to men the whole time he was there. And, um, our creative partnership is one of the places we really enjoy being with each other. Um, yeah. so, when I, I had said, cause we always have good conversations and that's one of the things that like, I've stopped dating guys in the past because they didn't have enough subjects. Right. <laughs> you know, I'm like, okay, this guy, I, he's a deer, but he only has two subjects. And I'm like, I need more subjects than that. Yeah. And Charles has an endless supply of subjects. I have an endless supply. We're we're curious about science that, that and liberal the, education. Yeah, again, the maybe, liberal maybe education to date Kelly yeah. goes on. <laughs> and so we would sit on the back porch and we'd have these amazing conversations. And in 2015, I discovered podcasts, and I was like, "Oh my god, we should have a podcast." This conversation that we're having right now is so amazing. But it wasn't until 2019 when he sh- shifted gears and had the the bandwidth to take it on because I I didn't. He got me this cool um, blue yeti, and a couple of years before that, and I just couldn't get it off the ground by myself. But he went down the the nerd hole of all the tech and the cables and the boards and the, which I don't have. I just want to show up and yak. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> I've gotten to do that. Other, you know, like I write and do graphics and stuff. But um, so we've gotten to put this thing together and really hash it out and have values conversations and why are we doing this and what is it supposed to achieve? And, you know, it's, it's been a really rich experience and throughout the pandemic and throughout, it's been a rough mental health couple years for me. I've been struggling with, with some depression and fatigue and, some the the best times I've had have been in these conversations that we've had with amazing people like you and Drew and the the you music that you brought incredible into our guests, home. yeah, yeah, and just uh, we just he you know we just get to talk to amazing top drawer people and uh, it's been an incredible journey, and I credit Charles with you know doing a ton of work around it. I have a day job and I work 40 hours a week and I come home and I'm just like, okay. And he just props me up in front of the microphone and we go to town. So 
it's been it's been an it. amazing experience. Well, I love your podcast, and I'm I feel honored to have been on it, but also to listen three to times. It. three yeah. times. Yeah, she does the three peat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. you guys are it. the best, and it's always wonderful, and it's always genuine, and always lovely, and it always goes so fast. And then I'm like, how do we talk so long? But it feels so fast. Um, I do want to ask you both a couple questions. I ask all my guests, if you don't mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, and you, they, it can be a combined answer or individually, however you, however it sits best with you. Um, knowing, having had the journey that you've had to this point and knowing all the things, you know, and having gone out and gathered that information and come back with it, what is something you would tell your younger self? Well, I would tell my younger self to take business classes, but um, if only to have more freedom, right? you know, not to like get locked into a particular quote unquote success, right. um, but just to trust herself, you know, and that, that she's enough. Yeah. She's not doing it wrong. I love that one. Uh, you'd be surprised or maybe not surprised at how often the you're enough tends to come up. Mm-hmm. And it and what I love about asking different people the same questions is that it, there's always an interesting through line. And then mm-hmm. there's, you know, obviously the opposite where somebody brings something to the table. I would have never been like, oh, my gosh, that's a great. Wow. I, you know, but I, <laughs> I, I am that. blown away by how many people as we grow into ourselves go, I wish she knew how much I know now that like she was enough just as she was or he was or mm-hmm. they were, um, you know, in becoming. The journey is really about constantly becoming who you're supposed to be and who you are at that moment in time is just enough for yeah. for everything you are going to become. And I, I love that piece of advice. It really resonates with me often. How about mm-hmm. for you, Charles? Yeah, I, I, I would tell, you know, younger Charles just you're doing it right. Just keep doing it. And then on the side, I would go to uh, his mom or, or some uncle or, or maybe just whoever was in charge of his payroll and just be like, just put another $20 aside in an account that he doesn't know no about. Doubt. Yeah. Just, just cause he's, he'll appreciate it later. Yeah. yeah. Uh, totally. Cause I wouldn't, I mean, I wouldn't want to change a thing and, you know, I wouldn't want to change having had the experience of like having to cash in recycled cans to buy a burrito uh, there's value in that. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change that. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to be who I am because it, because it works for Kelly. I want to be who I am now and having done the things that I've done, you know, so that I can be the kind of podcast host and, and public speaker and, and, and leadership consultant that I am right now. I, I wouldn't want to change that. It would just be nice to have, you know, a Make surprise, sure ducats in a, a, right. a, a surprise right. savings account that showed up. That would be awesome. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's so true. It, you know what, to your point too, I, I hope, I I mean, I don't know that this is the nicest thing to wish on anybody, but I hope everybody hits a point in their life where you're figure you're you're literally figuring out the next meal. I've been mm-hmm. there. I've I remember while working and having a job and and having gotten into debt in college and paying off debt and my bank account went negative because something went through that I didn't remember was going to go through mm-hmm. and so then I got my paycheck but I didn't want to cash my paycheck in the bank because it would have all just gone to the negative fees instead of feeding myself, you know, so you go to the the cash store on the corner in the in the strip mall and you have them cash your check but they only take 10% 
percent instead of the bank Ugh. that would have taken. You know what I mean? Yeah. I Ugh. value that moment. I value mm. that moment so. And, and much. you want your kid to never have that moment. Correct. Correct. <laughs> Correct. You know, I'll be the parent that does put the twenty ducats in the in the account to the side that I don't tell him about till he's like thirty five, and then I'm like, okay, right. I think yeah, you're grown up. Don't give it to him when they're twenty. No, God, no, God, no. That's no. what happens. That's when yes, you're doing exactly. it. Exactly. You got to survive to like thirty five or yeah, forty, you've and then have, it's like, okay, you've got to cash in the beer cans to get the burrito and get through exactly. it. Exactly. To appreciate that you have an account somewhere that has some money in it. Um, and then if they do great, then you get to keep it. <laughs> right. Right. And you're just like, cool, bonus money for me. I'm so glad I put savings aside. They're doing fine. Um, But no, I I do in some capacity wish that for that moment, whatever it be and whatever it looked like, that humble pie to where you go, man, maybe I need to get this together in a different way. Um, Or I need to keep working toward getting on my feet in some way. Because I do think that feeds the human spirit on some level to know what you're capable of surviving and where you don't want to go back to. And that even though it happened it's okay and now I'm going to plan mm-hmm. better next time like I do think that's a very valuable uh, way to look at those moments mm-hmm. long long mountaineering trips in in heavy snow years in Wyoming are also a good way to do character it. building yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, the one that popped up for me was driving across the country with no second gear oh oh yes that's that's winning <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta like be on point. Yeah, because you only get you only get the turn on first gear, but then you've got to yep. rev up enough to get to third, and then basically yep. have to cruise in third or higher, no matter what. Yep, strong. Yeah, <laughs> strong. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> what would you no say idea. at this point, looking back on this incredible journey you both have taken individually and together? What would you say specifically has been a career high? And what would you say specifically has been a career low? You've had more of a, a career than <laughs> I don't I mean, know that I, I have a career really. Yeah, from the stand, from the standpoint of a career, um the a, a very specific high was when I was executive director for Boys to Men, and which just for I, my listeners, just so yeah. it's, that was a mentorship program for yeah we mentored we mentored uh, several hundred boys at a time in in schools and did rites of passage weekends for for teenage boys helping them get through this really tough stage of figuring out who they are and how they're going to be in the world um, and working with hundreds of volunteers to make that happen and I had I had made some big mistakes early on in my leadership of being too top down and controlling. And I was a terrible boss and went through a bunch of, uh, went through a bunch of program directors. But the highlight was when my program team, after I'd gone through coaching and done a bunch of work to become a better leader, my program team came to me and said, "Uh, we're going to design trainings for the volunteers like this. And I said, huh, that's not how I would do it, but you guys do that. And I know that if it doesn't go well, you're going to fix it and change it. I trust you. So that was a, that was a highlight for me because it, that was me being the kind of leader that I want to be the kind of person that I want to be trusting, empowering, positive, uh, engaged, optimistic. Yeah. Yeah, and and it took me a while to get to get there. Yeah, yeah. It sounds like the low point was what led you to that. The low point was with them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, one of them. Yeah, 
yeah, it didn't it didn't all end well at Boys to Men. So that that like that high point came right before uh, a low point, which was which was now realizing that I was part of a bullying, um, oppressive culture at the top. Our board, uh, um, just to just to make a long story short, and advice to everybody out there: if you're part of a board or a group, and the women keep quitting and leaving, that's a sign that it's not a healthy culture. So everything everything below was great. My team was doing great, but at the very top of our culture, things were not right. There was there was a bullying kind of sexist. Uh, top-down yeah. thing happening, and I tried to push back against it. I tried to fix it, and I ended up losing losing my job with Boys to Men because of that. Yeah. So, and that led to podcasting. So, maybe well, and, that was and a high point. I don't know. Just so you know, the reason I asked this question is that I think, and and I say this a lot on the podcast for with many guests, is that it's we all, especially in an environment of social media where the highs are always accentuated. People are yeah. always willing to share the like, I'm on vacation. I got the promotion. Life is great. Um, Look at these waffles. They're the best. Right. We forget <laughs> to go. It takes the lows to get to the highs usually. Yeah. And and yeah. or for as many beautiful highs as there may be, it didn't come without lows. Like I and I and I think yeah. it's important to acknowledge both because balance, right? And that's yeah. where that's where we grow. We grow in those opportunities of finding what balance and what harmony inside of us feels like. When you start to realize I am sitting at my highest moment because I'm living in a version of myself that feels right. And then also acknowledging that with that mindset, I'm going to go and, and try to create change, which will then automatically have pushback and create a low there entails lies the journey. Right. And this is why I like to ask that question as far yeah. as for you, and, Kelly. And, oh, I'm and sorry, my Kelly. low, my low was really happened before I got fired because my low was that I participated in that culture. I was, I was enabling that. You didn't bullying. stop it. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't realize what was going on. Right. Uh, it took, it took a few women quitting our board for me to mm-hmm. be like, wait a minute. There's a Hold problem on. here in a second. Yeah. There's a problem yeah. here. But so, I mean, a, another high point was actually me stepping up and trying to do something about it. It didn't, it didn't work out, but it, yeah. yeah. No, but the realization itself is a high. I mean, just to be able to yeah. acknowledge like, oh, I, I'm sitting on the right side of this. Like I, yeah. I, yeah. I am. Yeah. yeah. You weren't rewarded for your efforts. No, but no, but then I got to go. Life. Then I got to go yeah. see Jason Isbell at Red Rocks. I right know, after. right? I got, I got fired, and the next day I flew to Colorado and watched Jason Isbell <laughs> at Red Rocks with the moon rising. Behind it was them. amazing. Yeah, yeah. I cried Kelly, the whole time. For yeah. you as an artist, I mean, I, was there a moment for you that you sold the thing that just you'd worked really hard on? Was there a moment when you opened the gallery with Vicky Day? Was there a moment that you went, okay? Well, I think a lot of my life kind of before Charles, there weren't really decisive moments. There's a lot of, you know, merging into this lane from that lane. Um, But the, my current job is with the library district. I've been there for over five, no, six, I don't know, five (laughs) six years, um, at the library district. And I started off cataloging books and I kind of learned on the job because I had been working in Jerome at the library and I just sort of hopped over into this, you know, weird situation, um, 
that wasn't really, I, I love learning new things. So I learned how to do it. And then I kind of just got into a place where I'm like, okay, I learned how to do this probably as well as I'm ever going to learn how to do it. I've now lost interest. And then I got a new boss who <laughs> understood that I had all this uh, experience doing graphic design. And so I, little by little, I started doing more and more graphic design and it took several years for him to create and get approved a position for me to be in outreach and PR and doing graphic design full time. And so I've been doing that for the last couple of years. And when I, I finally officially got that position, it felt really good. Like I sort of like what I was saying at the beginning about my pop designing the Florida State logo, I designed the logo for the library district that is now all over the place. Mm -hmm. It's on everything we do. And I still, it was a long process. It took months of, no, that's not it. No, that's not it. It's not it. We're not there yet. But this is really great. What about, no, it's not it. And when we finally got there, uh, that's why I asked this of you it, when we had our conversation on here together of like, do you know when a song is done? Mm-hmm. Right. Because knowing when a, a, a graphic image is done is that same thing of like, if I'm honest with myself, no, it is not there yet. Right. I want it to be done, but it is not done. And the one of the moments was getting that logo done. And every time I see it, I'm happy. Yeah. There's, I don't feel like there's any unfinished business with it. It, it, I'm, it's something I'm happy to put out there. But then getting my job description changed to officially, even though I've been doing graphic design for the last four years, now I'm official. Right. There's something very satisfying in that to me. I now I feel like a professional. Now I feel like I'm real. Yeah. You know, even though I've been doing the work this whole time, there's something about getting that uh, acknowledgement and the officialness of it that is that feels like a high point for me. She's that's getting awesome. a paycheck and healthcare. I know. I bring home that, the healthcare. That's exactly right. Yeah, exactly. And, they, and that that feels very satisfying and and joyful to me that I can do that for our, our family as yeah. Charles is making his transition into public speaking and you know contributing his gifts to the world. I get to go to work and make videos and make pictures and websites and, you know, it's mostly really awesome. Yeah. So. What would you say for you has been a career low? Um, It's just really hard to hear no all the time mm. because there's a way more no in graphic design than there is yes. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not there yet. I don't like that. You just made this thing. Uh, I don't think that represents what I want. You know, there's, there's no a lot and I don't enjoy it. And I throw little inner tantrums and fits and stomp around, you know, my, my little child self does a lot of stomping around and being upset while, you know, the, the wise woman in me is like, this is part of the process. Yeah. You're going to hear a lot of no, but yeah, I, it's, it's hard to hear no. Yeah. It's, it's not it. I think I anytime like it. you're an artist, especially when you're an artist 
having to help reflect other people's visions with mm-hmm. your own talent in, intertwined. There's no way you don't have some level of ego stomping around. You like, I mean, there's yeah. just no way. Even when I go in and sing sessions and I show up every single time going, I just want to give you what you want. And if I'm singing it and they're still like, could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? And I'm like, oh my God. Like, <laughs> right. I, I've already given like, you what awesome. What is this, chop liver? <laughs> Yeah, like, yeah. I've given you awesome takes. Why don't you want them? Um, yeah, I feel you, sister. And same thing. The mature part of you goes, oh, you. it must not have been whatever they're waiting to hear. So just keep at it. Keep going. But you're like, huh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. um, <laughs> it for, is a personal commentary and rejection yeah. of my very soul. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. Um, but it's like much to, to the same point you made. It's, it's all part of the process. And at the end of it, when mm-hmm. you do finally get it, it's so rewarding because you're like, aha, we did yes. it. You know? <laughs> yeah. There's blood, sweat and tears in this thing yeah. for sure. And it's a, and it's a hundred percent right. Right. You know, like getting to that place where something really, really does it is so satisfying because there, it is a lot. It, yeah. But any, you know, I think of these big blockbuster movies that a million people worked on and a bazillion dollars were spent and all of that. And you walk out and you're like, eh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't think. Eh. Yeah. Well, what was you it? Know, I, it's just was like, it James? I feel like such an asshole now that <laughs> I always try to go, you know what? People tried really hard. There's a lot of effort into this. And, you know, maybe it didn't you know, this could have been better or that, or I, everything was great. I don't know why it didn't work. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. Sometimes I try you to put really all... not, not discount anyone's creative effort because I know everything is hard. Totally. Listen, mm-hmm. sometimes you put out all the ingredients in the cake and the cake is still just not as moist mm-hmm. as it could be, or as, you know, I mean, that's just how, Life happens. Sometimes it's yeah. that baker has made your favorite cake a thousand times in a row. And then one day, for whatever reason, the cake isn't as good, you know? And yeah, it's like too humid or, you yeah, know. whatever is it your, is. Is your, is your album moist? Is the album moist? <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> is the album moist? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Is it? Is it I think it's, I believe it's perfectly Chocolatey. cooked. Yes. Perfectly I, cooked. I, in my mind, it's perfectly cooked. It came oh, together. It releases in a week. I'm so excited. Thank you for that. Oh, uh, we can't wait to hear I have it. one more question for you guys. Yeah. And then I'll let you go. And I'm just so honored you were here and I'm taking up a lot of your time, but I appreciate you hanging out with me. Um, uh, I feel so much better. It is definitely a, a therapy session. Good. I'm glad. Good. Um, what would you say at this point? Is your definition of success and has that word and definition changed for you over the years? 100%. Um, I just think success is recognizing my own satisfaction in completing something and the value of collaborating with other people and did were we able to deliver our gifts? Mm. I mean, that's really what I, I want financial security. I don't I love not having to think about where the whether the bills are gonna tank my account. Right. But really what is success to me is can't do we get to deliver our gifts successfully to people who find them of value? That is what matters to me now. 
Yeah. Charles? Yeah, I, I don't know that I can, I can't top, I can't top that. Mm. And it's, I mean, I, I think Kelly's answer implies it, that success is not a destination. It's an ongoing process and it is collaborative. Like, I don't believe in happiness. I think happiness is a bullshit term. I think success is kind of a bullshit term. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm never satisfied. I can always do better. Uh, I always want to, I always want the podcast to be better. I always want my, my talks and, and workshops to be better. Um, I want my garden to be better. I want the house to be cleaner. You know, it's like, it's, I'm, I'm pretty hard to please. So success is not something that, that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, am I feeling engaged? Am I, um, did I see something that surprised me in a, in a positive way? Um, did I learn something? If I can answer yes, and, and, you know, did I, did I get to, did I get to see something in somebody else that, that surprised me and surprised them? Uh, if I can answer yes to some of those questions, then I'm, then I'm feeling like my time is being spent properly. I love it. Another reason I asked that question, because I think so often, and again, getting back to the things that we as humans have created, like we, we all, our, our, our lineage has created these ideas that I feel like now we're starting to unpack and unfold and loosen the walls on, you know, so long. And that's why I asked so many questions about college. There were so, so many times in my own lifetime where it's like, you must do this to be successful, or you're yeah. going to need to do this to be successful. And the longer and longer we walk on this journey, the more you start to realize, Mm, am I happy? Am I content in the moment? Am I enriched by this conversation? Am I fulfilled in doing what I'm doing? These are the things we should be asking opposed to am I successful? Right. Am, I, am, I, am, I, am I filling a role in my community that's right. needed? Am I, am I helping other people give their gifts? Am I? Right. Yeah. And I, and opportunities I love, for people who've been marginalized. Yeah. Right. And I love those conversations, especially amongst creatives, because it's one of the hardest um roads to to make a box for. Creative people, you both are creative people. You're creative in your mentorship. You're creative in your leadership. You're creative in your artistic abilities. You're creative in your conversation. But when you have creative people, where do you put a benchmark on what is successful? And that's why I like to ask that question Uh, because it really comes down to so many people seek creative endeavors for fame or fortune one or the other, whether it's, yes, I want to do art, but I want to make lots of money at it. I want to be in big galleries. I want to be doing X, Y, or Z. Or yes, I want to be a singer, but I only want to be Beyonce. Well, guess what? Mm -hmm. You know, there's a whole spectrum from zero to Beyonce. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that is never discussed in the realm of success. And I love hearing the answers. When we we get a new car, I want to put, I want to change the speedometer to (laughs) To go from zero zero to Beyonce. Beyonce. I love it. Yeah. You know, but the realities are is success is the are the moments. They really are the things that in the yeah, present yeah. of the now. And I yeah. love asking that question because more often than not, um, truly every creative, every artist, every thoughtful person has seemingly come to a place where it's like, I'm not even worried about that word anymore. And I love mm-hmm. that. It makes me so mm-hmm. happy because mm-hmm. I think it defalsifies these ideas of what we are, quote unquote, supposed to be. Yeah. So thank you for those beautiful. Answers. Yeah, and if yeah, if we're always putting out some sort of some sort of goal that you know is really hard to reach, you know, if Beyonce is the goal, God, you're just gonna be freaking miserable. Yeah, there's all only the one time. Beyonce. 
She yeah, job is taken. <laughs> yeah. She's not she's go not be quitting you. anytime soon. Right. Yeah. 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 Go be you. Go be you. You guys, I absolutely love and adore you both. Thank you for being my guests. Mm, I appreciate you. Are you are so welcome. We uh, could talk for a week and a half. I know. I know. We totally could. I we totally could. And I'm fine with that. So let's all go on a camping trip. Um Yay! Oh, that's a great idea. Yeah. That's a great idea. <laughs> let's do it. God, it's been a long time. Mm-hmm. And we'll take we'll take the we'll take the field recorder. We can record oh. a podcast and camp. Let's love do it. it. Seriously, okay. you heard it here first. This is happening. I love it. Okay. I love it. Wonderful. Right. Yeah, Thank and you, we're gonna we're gonna work together on on this community, Candace. We're gonna we're gonna create indie indie week is coming up. Love it. Arizona local first Arizona indie week is coming up at the end of end of June, first part of July. Shop locally, support mm-hmm. your local businesses, support your local creatives, buy locally crafted books, buy locally made music. Yep. Go to also, the album please. release party. This podcast may be coming out after that, but if you didn't go to the album release party, buy the album. Yes, yeah. do that. But but before you guys go, please um, plug all the podcasts and where people should be following you and finding you and listening to you. Great. So you can follow us on Instagram at RocketFeather1. The Here Together podcast, you can find on all of the major podcast platforms, here.together. You can find us on the web at here-together.us.us. The Remaking Manhood podcast, you can find at remakingmanhood.com or search Remaking Manhood a healthy masculinity podcast on all the platforms. And we'd love to hear your comments and and uh, questions on those podcasts. Every Here Together podcast ends with a science assignment, uh, a little tip, a little trick that our guest provides. Uh, go out and do this thing and see if it changes your life. See if, uh, see if talking to the Ravens changes your life. See if mm. creating a purpose statement changes your life. See if... Uh, uh, contributing politically in your community changes their life. So we try and we try and give all of our guests of the Here Together podcast a little 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 homework assignment. Yeah. So check those out. And we award prizes if you mm-hmm. complete the science assignment. So I do love that. it. I love yeah. it. We will be sure to put all the links in the show notes so people can just get to you directly. But um thank you love for it. being my guests, you both and I just adore you to infinity and beyond and we'll go camping and talk more. Right. Yay. Okay. Feeling is mutual. Bye, guys. Have a wonderful day. Thank Thank you. You too. Today's podcast is brought to you by one of our awesome sponsors, New Belgium. One of their beers, Voodoo Ranger IPA, is a favorite here at the Creative Convergence. Voodoo Ranger IPA is perfectly balanced with notes of guava, mango, and pineapple with a delicately bitter finish. For beer news and occasional mediocre advice, follow at Voodoo Ranger on Twitter and Instagram, where you will hear about what's new and where you can find Voodoo Ranger near you. Voodoo Ranger IPA. Drink responsibly. Live rangerously. Thank you for listening to The Creative Convergence, coming to you from Raven Sound Studio in historic downtown Prescott, Arizona. Are you a professional in the arts and would like to share your story with us or a company that would like to advertise with us? Shoot us an email at contact at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Help support the arts by becoming a Raven Productions member. To get your perk card and be the first to know about all of our upcoming promotions, events, and online programming, your membership will directly support the arts programs in our schools. Sign up today at ravenproductionsmedia.com. Until next time, be safe and enjoy the journey.